Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Ada Lovelace, Katherine Johnson, and Grace M. Hopper, women who made major contributions to the tech world. But would you believe that the gender digital divide, specifically the gender equality gap in the tech industry, has worsened in the last 40 years? The OECD found in 2018 that women are still underrepresented in tech jobs, and men are four times more likely than women to become technology specialists. Women-owned startups receive 23% less funding and are 30% less likely to have a positive exit compared to male-owned businesses. How can we lessen the divide and make the tech industry more welcoming for everyone? I'm Robin Allison Davis, and today I'm speaking with Ayumi Moreoki, founder of Women in Tech. Women in Tech is a global organization aiming to eliminate this divide by helping women learn digital skills, get hired, and become leaders in the tech industry. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ayomi. Thank you, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. You founded the Women in Tech organization in 2018. Can you tell us a bit more about what specifically inspires you to create this organization? Tech literally changed my life about 15 years ago. I was leading this very corporate, high-profile career, but I wasn't enjoying my job at all. Since I wanted to spend more time with my family. I wanted to be able to do something more creative and to be independent. So putting all of these ticks together, I decided to learn how to code by myself. And literally, the digital skills, they really gave me all the, the skills I needed to be able to change my life, both personal and, and professional. So throughout 10 years... I really focused on growing my business, growing my family, because I was making websites and then small media apps. I founded my first company, and I was really you know, thriving in this business until I fell pregnant of my fourth child, which was in 2017, and I had a very difficult pregnancy. And so when I finally gave birth in August 2017, I was exhausted both mentally and, um, and physically. So I wanted to go and recharge my battery somewhere. So I thought that the perfect choice would be the Web Summit in Lisbon because I wanted to connect with other women that had gone through the same you know, challenges that I was, that were living the same things as an entrepreneur in technology, and also wanted to obviously learn the new tech trends and get some new ideas and everything. So when I went there, I knew that there were not a lot of women in technology, but what I didn't know was that the gender gap was getting wider and wider every year, and this for the past 40 years. I thought it was bad, but it was getting better, but the things were getting worse. So I started looking for existing initiatives around the world. And what I found that there was a lot of talk, I must say, and very little action. They were trying to solve, for instance, the problem of the gender gap by giving women discounts to go to summits. Or if there were programs on the ground, they were mostly individual and very isolated. There wasn't something that would really bring together initiatives from around the world and that not only um, programs on the ground, but also a global community. I decided to create Women in Tech as this catalyst for change, bringing together not only a network of women, but also working on real life projects on the ground, answering to four main um, pillars, which are education, entrepreneurship, social and digital inclusion and advocacy. So this is how it started. I had no money and you know important people, uh, but I really had this dream that I wanted to try and close this gender gap by empowering women and girls, giving them confidence, opportunities, and skills. So what have you seen in your work with the Women in Tech organization? How are you combating the gender digital divide? And do you think your work you've done has really made a big difference? 
Yes, it has made a difference. I think even if you impact one person's life, has already it's already a, a big difference because it's it's important. But up to today, um, four and a half years down the road, we have impacted over two hundred thousand lives. So I'm very proud of that. And how have we done it? We have you know taught over fourteen thousand women and girls um, through educational programs. We have donated two hundred twenty computers to underprivileged girls and women in India and South Africa. We have just opened, for instance, a learning center in a township in Cape Town. We have even brought water to a village in rural Zambia because we are opening a computer lab in this in this rural area. So we are making a progress, obviously, but it's still the beginning for us because our main mission is to empower 5 million women and girls by 2030. So we still have a long way to go, but we're very, we're very motivated. Um, we're very ambitious and we are certain to achieve this goal. I have no doubt in that. I actually have more than one friend who left their career of 10 years to learn how to code and now are working in tech and they love it. They really do. I can relate to that. And I also have another success story to share with you. So when I first founded Women in Tech, I didn't know where to start. We thought together of a boot camp that would be one month during, um, during summer. So that was in July, 2018. And we called it the Summer Coding Camp. And we chose 50 women from around the world. At the end, there were 35 nationalities and 50 women. The youngest was 14 and the oldest 56. It was for free, and we taught them the basics of, of web development. So one year later, down the line, I was opening our fifth chapter in North Macedonia. I see a small hand in the crowd raise up. It was this young woman um, named Dina. She says, I was one of those 50 women who learned um, how to code in that summer boot camp. And thanks to this boot camp, uh, I got the courage to continue learning. She was just hired as a front-end developer. So that was back in 2019. Um, and today, 2022, she's a managing director of this IT company in Skopje, now managing many different dozens of um, engineers um, and developers. And she gives back to the community as a mentor, mentoring young women and girls to go into technology to learn how to code. That's wonderful. It's like seeing it come full circle. Yes, yeah, definitely. In 2018, the OECD published the report Bridging the Digital Gender Divide. The report found that there are many reasons for gender-based digital exclusion, including hurdles to access, affordability, and inherent gender biases, to name a few. What hurdles have you found for women wanting to start a career in technology? Well, there are many. I think it also depends on what part of the world you are in. Um, if you are in the Middle East or in the UAE, if you are in South America, Europe, Af Africa, you don't have the same hurdles. But it's really the stereotypes and this unconscious bias that we all face of what would be the perfect person that should go into technology. You know, if you close your eyes, we all imagine mostly men or boys or geeks. You don't really imagine um, a woman. Uh, if you close your eyes and you think about a, a hackathon, you know, you're not going to see a, a, a room full of, of women. You see mostly a, a room full of men, you know, with beards, you know, um, and T-shirts <laughs> looking like that. So I think, first of all, it's obviously this unconscious bias that we all have because of um, cultural norms of what you see on TV or what you've seen, you know, um, on movies or on any adverts. Afterwards, I would say is also the support that you get at schools. For instance, I've got four children and my two oldest one have a boy and a girl. They're both very good in maths. They were also, also very good students. And when my boy was searching what he was going to do next, his teacher said, you know, you should really go into maths and science and continue as an engineer. 
And for my, my daughter, she said, well, maybe I should go into math. I said, no, you're really so smart. You should go into law. So I think the direction and the, t- the, the teachers give at school um, also really give a lot of influence. And obviously, most of the parents, if they're not in the field, they're not going to be able either to, to help their children, you know, choose that path because they don't really know about it because it's quite a very new, you know, industry. Um, so there are so many different hurdles. And then obviously afterwards is the environment you are in. So if you are in underprivileged areas, obviously, you know, having access to such education and to computers and to devices and even to internet. Not only do we have like this gender gap, but we also have this intersectional barriers that that women and girls have to face as well. You know, if you are from a different ethnicity and if you live, you know, in an underprivileged country, then definitely your, your chances of going to technology are even smaller. So we know it's hard to start a career in tech, um, but it's also hard to stay and rise through the ranks. Your website lists, according to Eurostat, that just 5% of women are in leadership positions in tech. How are the problems different when it comes to staying in tech and rising through the ranks as opposed to starting out? I'm sure there's a completely different battle. So it's already harder for women to go into this career, right? Doesn't matter what level. So I think retaining talent, uh, we also have to make it sure that the environment is an inclusive environment where women feel safe, they feel welcomed, and they feel heard, um, and they feel that they really bring in value and they contribute to to the innovation process. Um, I think that's not only in technology, but I think in most of the industries, women are not so much um, seen in leadership positions because it's still more of a of a male oriented um, power positions, <laughs> so um, it is very challenging. But I think you know change is coming along because there's so much awareness right now, and, and companies have already seen and they know that you know having more women in leadership positions is not only the right thing to do, but it's the smart smart thing to do because companies um, and startups they perform better when they've got a, a more diverse direction and a more diverse more diverse teams. Things are changing, but not fast enough. And so I think that in some countries, like in France, there are certain of quotas that are coming in. I'm not in for quotas for quotas. I think perhaps it's good just for a, a short while and to just to make sure that the process, people are making that extra effort um, to bring women to the table. Not only must they be at the table, but then they must be heard when they are at the table, right? <laughs> That's another thing as well. But I think it's definitely important because change is not just on the bottom up. So I think we have to really make sure that women are included in every single level um, of a company and of uh, in a position in the industry. Do you think that governments or policymakers should take a role in helping to lessen the gender digital divide? Definitely, definitely. We need policymakers not only making policies, um, but so that we can have budgets because for the digital gender divide to to be able to advance um we we need money right we, let's not only do we need efforts from all from all stakeholders from the whole of the ecosystem but we also have to give access to to them to education we have to have, give access to them to to computers to devices to internet and for that we need finance you know making sure that women and girls in underprivileged communities have more access to to the support I think it's going to be a way to make it much faster for change to come. Otherwise, we're going to have to wait, um, as they say, about 135 years (laughs) to have a gender equality, especially after COVID, where we have gone back one generation um, on gender parity. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up COVID because that was one of my questions. I've done a lot of interviews about tech and COVID and in some ways it's accelerated many trends, but you said that it's taking us back in terms of the gender digital divide. Can you explain? There were some studies that were done and obviously during lockdown, um, especially during the first, well, the first two years now, right? Um, once again, for this underprivileged communities where there's only, for instance, one device, one smartphone for the whole family, generally first it's going to be the father that's going to be having access to the phone. And then it's going to be the first son. And then at last it's going to be another girl um, or the mother. This is the basic pattern in India that, that happened to, to the underprivileged families. Um, and it's a sad story of Ashwarya. Uh, a 19-year-old girl who, in, who was studying um, computer studies honors in, in um, the ladies' school of New Delhi, College of New Delhi. And because she couldn't have access to any device, um, she couldn't study for her exams. Everyone was locked in homeschooling. And she was under such tremendous stress that she knows she took her own life because she said, I cannot carry on living if I don't have, if I don't study. And I know my father cannot afford to buy me a computer. So what else can I do? It's a tragic case, but she's not alone. And so one of the ways that we helped um, as women in tech, it's obviously we partnered with um, another nonprofit organization called Sempark, which is on really on the, on the ground. And they were able to identify 120 other girls who were in the same situation as Ashwada. And we were able to, with their help, obviously, we were able to, to raise funds to sponsor 120 computers to the girls' laptops before exams. So they could really um, have access to the education, they would be able to learn, and they would be able to pass, they were able to pass the exams. Um, also, you know, with the homeschooling, most of the mothers, like myself and many others, you know, we were locked at home, having to jungle with homeschooling, with entrepreneurship, with your own work. For most of the families, until they found the right balance, mostly the mothers, you know, they really were the ones who take care of the children, take care of the homework, take care of all that while while working. Um, and because many, many people lost their jobs, um, unfortunately, uh, women were the ones who lost mo more jobs <laughs> than men. Um, if you look at the statistics, it, it's a sad statistic, but it's true. So it, it was a, a, a big regress in women's rights. But at the same time, I'm very positive and confident that because of all these changes, um, that made remote work more acceptable, that made you be able to be more agile on your time, how you work. Companies are also seeing that we, people don't have to be at work physically to be able to be performant. And I think making timetables more manageable for women to be able to work from their homes, be able to take care of the families as well, of the children and you know manage the timetable as they want. I think it's a huge progress for women as well. So I think in the beginning it was, um, it was quite challenging, but I think we have to use it as something positive, um, disruptive and really change the way um, you know, women's going to be able to, to work for the future. So I think it can be positive as well. We just need a little bit of time to adapt. You mentioned the access to technology being an issue in many countries. And we know that the access to technology and education is not the same worldwide. And the OECD found in 2018 that worldwide, roughly 327 million 
fewer women than men have a smartphone and can access the mobile internet. Women in Tech is working in Afghanistan right now. Can you tell me a bit more about what you're doing there? It's a difficult program that we are doing there right now. I must say, um, we worked a lot with Zarifa Ghaffari, the youngest ever mayor in Afghanistan, and one of the first female mayors of Afghanistan. She was only 26 years old. So when she, and she was threatened um, of death many times, she escaped three death attacks. <laughs> and when she finally um, left Kabul in, in August last year, um, I met her in Germany so we can amplify her voice and really show the world what's happening with, with, with women um, in Afghanistan. What we want to do and what we are doing is really bringing in this digital literacy into Afghanistan. The problem is having access to internet. We are working on making sure that we can provide devices where they already have the information inside the device and we don't need internet to have access to it, not only for their safety as well, because there are some places if they find out that they're studying, it's not very, you know, it's not very safe, but also they don't have to be connected. So that when they can be able to get this, this um, learn these digital skills, learn this digital literacy inside their homes on a safe place, um, from these computers that have um, all the information and the programs inside the computers, this is a way we're going, we are using to skill um, girls um, everywhere in the country, especially the rural areas, with the help of local associations and with the help of, of Zarifa and with the help of, um, the, of the women that are also in the rural areas, because there's always at least one woman that has been educated. Um, and we're making sure that these women are the main points that can deliver and can be like the, um, yeah, can be can be host uh, to, to, to provide this information and the computers to the girls. That sounds like a wonderful initiative. Yeah, it's an ambitious initiative, but it's quite simple at the end. We have already delivered a few computers, but we, we're really on it right now. It's not completely finished. It's wonderful to hear about everything that you're doing. How can our podcast listeners get involved? For change to really happen, I think we need to get everyone involved, whether you're a man or a woman. I think we need all the stakeholders to get involved. So we really need all the help we can. So if you're listening to this and you say, okay, well, how can I help? So I say that many different ways you can help. You can help by becoming a member of Women in Tech. It's completely free. Um, by becoming a member, you can help us in our actions, while either by uh, volunteering for, um, for teaching, for mentoring, for being a mentee. Uh, we can also support us as a partner. The more the partners we have, the better it will be. Either global partnerships or local partnerships where we can really implement programs on the ground. And then just by, by paying it forward, I think. When you're at work, when you're at home, making sure that you give women around you the voice, that you encourage them and you support them, I think it's the best way for change to happen. We all have to do our part. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ayumi. Thank you, Robin. Thanks so much. To learn more about Women in Tech, go to www.women-in-tech.org. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.